All right. This is a Las Vegas Sun podcast, The Rebel Room. Uh, I'm Ray Brewer alongside Mike Kermala talking all things UNLV athletics. And first things first, uh, thanks to all of our loyal listeners who've reached out in the last month or so saying, hey, where's a new Rebel Room? We want to we want to hear your takes on on all things UNLV, uh, especially in the last week or so, Mike. I've ran into like three people who've asked about the show. I know you on Saturday were at Mendenhall Center where 500 people jammed in to watch a practice. So I think generally the enthusiasm for UNLV is is high right now. A little optimism with football, basketball. Yeah. I mean, this is the time for it, right? Like you're in August, you haven't played a game yet, but you got two teams that look to be getting better um, as opposed to where they've been in recent years. So yeah, man, that's, Give me all the enthusiasm right now. This is the this is when you want to 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 hear it, and this is when you want people to be excited about the programs. Yeah, so we'll start with football, and I think I'm changing my tune a little bit on this year. Um, so I didn't realize how many transfers the program has, and it looks like I mean it's got to be what 25 or 30 guys out of the portal. A lot of them with major D1 experience, including like the punter. And I just think that in in, in all of our previous talk about how this team's going to look and feel, we're discounting the amount of talent that's been added to the roster. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to play together or who's going to play, but they definitely have more talent. And I think this could be a bowl team. Am I crazy, Mike? Uh, yeah, I think you're kind of create the bowl thing. I think there's still a ways off from that, but I do think that there is some merit to the fact that if you go through the depth chart for UNLV football, you just don't see a lot of obvious holes where this is a program where if you previously you'd go through it and, oh, they've got some freshman walk on at safety or, oh, they're counting on this true freshman to step in at guard right away or, Oh my good! They don't have a middle linebacker on the roster. Who are they? Who's going to play this? Like that's those are some of the problems they've had in recent years, where there were just obviously not enough good, talented, legitimate Division One players to field like a real competitive team. Whereas this year, I think that that's not so much of an issue. You scan the the, the roster, the depth chart. You're like, oh, these guys are all legitimate players. These guys can be competitive. They're even too deep at some positions, which is basically unheard of in recent history for UNLV. Yeah. So that- yeah. Definitely just overall talent level increased, I think, from the bottom of the roster, maybe more so than from the top of the roster. Yeah, and that was my point exactly. Oftentimes during a UNLV football season, they may have a strong 22 or a serviceable 22. But once, you know, the the season wears on and, and, and little dings become injuries and injuries become having to sit out and the, the depth chart gets all flipped around, right? We always talk about how a quarterback became a wide receiver and this person became that and and the whole nine yards, that's when UNLV really starts to fade at the end of the season. But I think we've got too deep in some spots, and and that's encouraging. Of course, there's still some question marks as to who's going to be the quarterback. Um, I think it's down to – you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's down to the Tennessee transfer – Harris Bailey. And – uh, the incumbent, well, kind of the incumbent, well, not the incumbent, 
Yeah. Yeah. I would call him the incumbent. He was the starter before he got hurt for the year. So I would call Doug Brumfield the incumbent. Um, and but yeah, Brumfield, Brumfield's been number one all, all camp so far. And I would say Bailey is probably the guy pushing him the most. So um, that means but, Frill will start against Idaho State, probably. I'm we're not going to. I don't think we're going to know until until kickoff, you know, until they take the field. They're probably not going to make an announcement on an official starter. But yeah, I think Brumfield, the incumbent, he's the number one guy. The thing is, if when you're talking about who's going to be the starting quarterback, I don't think that it it matters so much for that first week as much as it did last year, where last year that Eastern Washington team was like waiting to pick, pick them off. That was like a, a, a team that was dangerous. And if the, if the coaching staff made the wrong quarterback call coming out of camp and they started the wrong guy, there was a trap that was sprung for them where they could lose that game. And they did. That's exactly what ended up happening. Bad quarterback play cost them that game. And that set the tone for the year. Whereas this season, if Cameron Freel is your number three guy, that's a guy who went two and two down the stretch for you last year. That's a guy who can you can start Cameron Friel and, and beat Idaho State. You can start Doug Brumfield and beat Idaho State. Harrison Bailey will beat Idaho State. Like I if 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 Marcus Arroyo picks the wrong guy again, they'll it won't kill them the way that it did last year. Like any of those three guys will beat Idaho State. And then you've got two more weeks of evaluation because they've got the bye week after week zero. So any of those three guys will beat Idaho state. You'll probably more than one guy will play. Then you've got two more weeks of video and practice before you've got to make like a, another decision. So I think it's going to be sort of a, a series of quarterback decisions. Um, But yeah, I think all those guys are capable of winning week one and that's a a good thing. So the the thing I do find interesting is in the spring, Brumfield put his name in the portal for about two weeks. It's crazy, Uh, right? Yeah. Pulled it back out. And, if I'm a coach and somebody wants to put their name in the portal and leave, I'm like, okay, we'll leave. I brought this guy in from Tennessee, a four-star anyways. You know, he's my guy. Um, could you kind of detail a little bit the relationship Aurora has with um, his quarterbacks? I know we're going to write about that on Thursday for the Sun, but it takes a big man to do what he did and basically say, listen – I think you got a big spot in this program. I want you to stay and I'm going to coach you up and you could be the guy driving the Cadillac out of the lot. I think that's a good point. I think there are a lot of coaches who would take that personally, not as it as like an insult, but Hey, if you are going to enter the, the transfer portal, then Hey, don't let the door hit you get out of here. Um, we don't need you. Uh, we're just going to keep this train moving next man up. And sort of take that standoffish attitude about it where I think, yeah, credit to Marcus Arroyo for being open and saying, hey, like that's the the college football world we live in these days. Almost every player is going to enter the portal or entertain it at some point. You're going to have a portal conversation with pretty much every player on your roster at some point. Um, So if he wants to jump in for a day or two during spring football, yeah, it seems crazy to do that and then immediately come back and be the number one quarterback but maybe that's sort of the world we're in now. And maybe Marcus Arroyo sort of sees that coming and it's like, Hey, it's no, it's not going to, UNLV is not in a position where they can turn away talented quarterbacks. And that's what Doug Brumfield is at the end of the day. He is a talented quarterback. UNLV needs more of those, not fewer. So, Hey, if you get, you, you, you go through a little bit of a, a crisis of, 
uh, self and you want to check out the portal and you want to come back a couple of days later, we're open to it. Uh, yeah. If Doug Brumfield ends up being the starter and has a good year, I think you got to give Marcus Oriol some credit for, for bringing him back. And yeah, like you said, Marcus Oriol does have a very close relationship with his quarterbacks. When we're out at practice, he's pretty much side by side with the QBs for the entire length of, of practice. Like that's his thing. He wants to get it right. He knows he's got to get the quarterback right this year. So he is pouring a lot into that position. Very hands-on. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's also important to note that UNLV is never, I mean, in, in my memory and probably yours started the season with a quarterback and had that person be healthy for 12 games. Doug Brenfield is, is very skinny, skinny people usually don't hold up that well. Um, so I'm guessing all three end up starting a game along the way and more power to UNLV for, for developing them all kind of on a parallel path. And we'll see what happens. Um, uh, moving uh, to other positions on the offense. Has there been any clarity at running back? Uh, we, we've talked about, you know, Charles Williams that accounted for, uh, you know, 70% of the offense last year. Uh, he graduated, and in fact, the whole roster only has like 30-some players who were part of the program at the end of the fall last season. Who's going to carry the rock? I think it's going to be Aiden Robbins, who is a, uh, a transfer that came in late and uh, wasn't here in the spring, um, came in during training camp. He looks to be the most physically impressive guy, big um, capable of pushing the pile. We've seen him get to the outside on a couple of runs in training camp. We don't see a lot of 11 on 11 during camp, but we do see some, and we, he's, he's gotten to the outside and broken a couple long ones. But when I look at that group overall, I think the bigger question is just how much is it going to matter? Because last year it mattered a lot because Charles Williams was your best player and he was carrying the ball and touching the ball just a ton. And he was the offense. I don't think that's the kind of offense they're going to run this year. I think they're going to be more pass oriented. They're going to throw the ball. Their, their strongest position group is wide receiver. They're going to try to spread the ball around intermediate, deep passing game, chunk plays. I just don't think they're going to hand it off 20 times a game. They might not even hand it off 15 times a game. It may be a situation where, Hey, we're going to get into a handful of third and ones where we're going to want to run, uh, put a quarterback in the shotgun and hand it off and just try to get a yard that way. And that may be what the running backs are reduced to. And then, you know, a couple screen passes and just situation. I think it may be a more situational role than it was last year when Charles Williams was the focal point. So Aiden Robbins in the lead with the understanding that it's going to, he's going to be a role player. I think they're all going to be sort of playing a, just filling a role on the offense. You know, I, I under, I'm not this traditionalist. I see the way football's going and I understand that, um, those little dink screen passes and the intermittent passing game, as you like to label it, is the way of the future. But the bottom line for me is football games are won and lost on the line. And UNLV is going to be in a lot of close games. Many teams are going to be in a lot of close games. And when you get the ball up by two or three with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter on your side of the field, you're not going to do a screen pass. You're going to have to run the ball, run some clock, move the chains, and win the game. And that's why I hate this generation of football because I don't think you could just flip a switch 
and all of a sudden become an animal and move the pile. Now I get it. I'm old. You may or may not disagree, but you know, you got to be able to kill some clock in the fourth quarter. And if you're bringing in a, your number one running back, who in Mike Romala's words is a role player, then I mean, I, I just don't, I, I don't see it, especially since we've watched two years of this dink and dump, then hopefully the guy could break a tackle and take it to the house. Well, here, here's how I would counter that if I'm UNLV and I'm thinking about realistically, if I'm up by three in the fourth quarter and I've got the ball, is that good? Is a three point lead going to be enough to win the game with UNLV's defense historically? No. So do I want to hand it off three times, five times and take three or four minutes off the clock and then punt it back to the other team? Or do I want to stick to my normal offense and try and put more points on the board and try and give myself a 10 and point? have a three and out in 12 seconds because nobody can catch that, the ball. That, that's the risk you take. And you get the, the question is like how you can play it safe and just say, Hey, let's just take some time off the clock and get it down to where we've only got to defend one more possession and maybe we'll get a stop. Or you can say like, Hey, let's keep throwing the ball. Let's hope our best players are our receivers. We've got good quarterback play. Let's try to get another touchdown and put this one away on our terms on offense, which we're going to be much better on offense than we are on defense. So I think that's sort of the, 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 the rub there where it's like, yes, you'd love to be able to get the ball back with eight minutes left and never give it to the defense again, because you're just converting just by handing the ball off and you're just moving the chains and they don't get another shot, but that rarely happens. You're going to have to punt it back at some point. It's just hard to run the ball over and over and over again, no matter how good of a running team you are without giving the ball back at some point. So I don't know. Well, I think if, if you're physically more dominating and if you've won the off season in the weight room and you've worn down the weaker mountain West competition in the fourth quarter, you're just going to plummet them into the I ground think, and, win I think, the, and win the title. And my, I opinion. think, I think in, in your scenario that you just laid out, I think UNLV is the weaker opposition. Like, I don't, I don't think they're going to be wearing people down on the offensive line and just bullying people. I just don't think that's realistic for the t- kind of team they've assembled. And I don't think that's something that Arroyo wants to do. I mean, of course, every coach wants to just maul you in the run game and, get six yards of carry and never give up a sack, but you've got to be realistic. I, yeah. I think they're more – Michael, I'm not saying to be, you know, you're. I'm not saying to want to game 20 to 17 and, you know, to run the rock 35 times. But I'm saying in the fourth quarter, you got to have that mentality of, okay, we're up by three. I'm going to give the ball to my biggest dude. He's going to carry you – three or four yards, then we're going to sit there and look at the clock for 30 seconds. Then we're going to get the huddle and we're going to do it again. We're going to sit there and look at the clock for 30 seconds. Here's here's where I'll leave it. Wouldn't you you rather have a situation where you just believe in your quarterback so much that like, hey, my quarterback is going to win this game for me. My quarterback-coach combo is going to win this game for me. They don't believe in the quarterback because we don't know who it is. But if he believed in it, he would come out today and say, hey, Cameron Friel is the guy. He won two or four down the stretch. And I just gave him the keys to the Cadillac. He's on the way to Allegiant Stadium to, 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 to bring us to a bowl game. But I'm he's not saying anything. Philosophically, I think they want to be the, the quarterback coach team because Arroyo was a quarterback. All his experience is coaching quarterbacks. He's been super hands-on coaching that position all through training camp. 
he is very like he wants that mind meld with his quarterback and have the guy and have that quarterback be the one to close out the game. So um, this all goes back to when you just asked me who is the the starter or running back. So I think we've gone a long way since there, but um, maybe Aiden Robbins will turn out to be that guy who grinds it out at the end of the game for you. I was, my original point was that it's not going to be a Charles Williams type season where you're looking for your running back to set the tone early and often in the, the offense is based around him. I think it's more of fill in the gaps situational and end of game scenarios. All right. That is situational football. So maybe they will. So what um, you're telling me, and, I, and I hate to say this and I'll, I'll let the dot, the dead horse die, but football somehow in the last 10 years has basically became seven on seven flag football. Yes. You know, the, the, the linemen are only there to block for three seconds so we could throw the ball to some guy who runs a 4-3-40 who could hopefully shake and jake and, and rake and go past some other guy, right? Yes. And UNLV, though, they don't got a 4-3 guy, correct? They're trying. They are trying to become one of those teams. I like their receiver group. I don't think they have a, a phenomenal otherworldly talent there, but I think they got some guys who can play that kind of football. And I like the guy they got from Michigan State. I thought that was a huge get by us. And yes. I love what he's done in the portal. But I just – I hate – I mean, to me, like – and I don't want to compare UNLV to Alabama or Ohio State. But those teams could all, you know, pony up and push you around and get a first down. Right? Why didn't Oregon win a natty? Because they couldn't run the ball, in my humble opinion. I don't know anything about sports, Michael. No, I you listen. No one is going to say like the running game doesn't matter. We don't need a like we don't want a running game. Of course, you want to be good in all aspects of football. I'm just saying I don't think that's in the cards for you and I'll be this year. Realistically, I don't. I don't think this is the kind. I don't think you can just replace a Charles Williams type every year. I don't still, I don't think they have a, it's going to be an assembly line where every year you're seeing someone rush for 1200 yards and 20 touchdowns. This is going to be a, this is going to be a year where the running back takes a step back in the offense and we see more of a pass oriented system. That's just my take on it. And my fear is that since they can't replace Charles Williams, they're just going to do something different. But anyways, let's talk about the defense. All right. Uh, they, historically, as you said, have had a hard time stopping people. But it's going to be improved, I think. And Adam Plant coming off the edge um, might be their best bet to start with. But they've actually got, from what I could tell, a pretty good little linebacker group. Yeah, it was interesting. It was a lot more interesting before Brendan Scott uh, went out for the year with a, a knee injury. I was, he was probably the defensive player I was most excited about in terms of having a real breakout season, but, um, yeah, yeah, they've, it's, as I was saying before, it's not a defense where you're looking around and you're seeing like, Oh, this guy's a freshman. He's not going to hold up. Or this guy's a true sophomore. He's stepping into a role where we just have no clue if he's going to be competitive at all. Um, I think you've got a good mix of guys who have been here for four years, like uh, Kyle Beaudry. He's one of the captains on defensive linebacker, a local kid. He's a four-year player. Uh, Austin is Jake. 
He is a, a fifth year senior. Um, just like guys who have been here, like they're physical. They are physically capable of playing a full season of collision type football. And that's a big thing. Like these are guys who are, I don't think are going to wear down that much as the season goes on. Like they're not going, they can, it's just mature physically developed players at positions that are very physical, which is something UNLV has had trouble doing in the past is finding those guys. I think the portal has helped. So yeah, up front, they look better than they have in recent years. I would say just on the eye test on the hoof, these it's bigger, stronger, just more physically mature guys who should be competitive. Yeah. And I, I think the secondary uh, may be one of the weaknesses, but we'll, we'll obviously see as the season progresses real fast. We've kind of been up and down in terms of the season prediction. We haven't really, I guess maybe we've changed our tune a few times. What's your, your, you're, best? You're, you're on a bowl game. Like you, you think that no, they bowl contender. I, I just – I think that they – I didn't realize how good they got. That's my thing. I mean, they totally remade the roster. Now, again, I don't know how long it's going to take for these new pieces to mesh, um, but if they're – the talent is undisputable. They've upgraded, correct? Yes. And – there's some really bad teams in the league, especially the last two weeks of the year. Yep. Right. So Hawaii and UNR to close out the season. Right. So, you know, assuming that you beat Idaho state for one, there's three wins. You got North Texas at your house in September. I mean, there's a lot on that game. If that's four guarantees and you're telling me you only got to go two and six, the rest of the way. Right. That's one way to look at it. Oh, I mean, it's math. You got to somehow get the six. And now, granted, you and LB's had a hard time getting to six. And if they were to go to a bowl game and be a you know top five season in school history, they'd be eligible for like the school hall of fame, of course. But I, I think they're a solid five win team with a ton of momentum coming to next year. And hopefully when the spring of 23 comes around, they know who their quarterback is and we don't have to do this, this gymnastics of splitting reps and guessing who's who, you know what I'm saying? I do. The, the one thing I would uh, quibble with, with your uh, depiction of the schedule is when you say that those are the four games, like guaranteed, the word guarantee, I would quibble with just because we've all, we've seen them find a way to lose one or two of those games, but otherwise, yes, they, they, there are some games that look very advantageous to them. They should be able to beat last year's two wins. Uh, I would say the, the biggest thing, it sounds so simplistic, but it's true. Like it comes down to quarterback play. Like if you tell me that Doug Brumfield takes a leap this year and is like all mountain West second team quarterback at the end of the year and just has a great season, this is a team that could win six games. Absolutely. Or if you tell me Harrison Bailey is everything they thought he was, and he comes in and tears up the league and he's, you know, an all mountain West caliber guy getting votes for the all league team. Then. Yeah. Like if you're throwing the ball around the field and scoring points and you can beat anyone in this league and you can win those guarantee games and you'll definitely com- compete for a, uh, a bowl. But if you're, if they end up shuffling these guys around and it's like Brumfield for a couple Bailey gets his shot for three games. Freel comes in to play the second half, and then he starts the next week, and they're going around. 
it's, I don't see it happening that way, but if one of these guys takes the reins and like really explodes and lives up to all the, the expectations and exceeds your expectations, then I think you've got a team that's, that's pretty interesting. I, that's, that's where it comes, it all comes back to quarterback for me. Can one of these three guys be that, that main man that this program has not had for a really, really, really long time. Totally agree. And the, the other important note is none of these three quarterbacks. Well, I mean, on our math, the two leaders in the clubhouse haven't really played much college football. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's Brumfield. What we saw last year, it's it's t- it's interesting because he looked very impressive at the time. You go back and, and look at the numbers, and he's below fifty percent passing, and um, the numbers are not you know eye popping. But you can just tell that he's big, he's fast. The, his throwing motion is so easy, and he can launch the ball and tight spiral. He just he looks the part, and you figure if he puts it all together with a good receiving core. Like he's a guy that could, could do it. And then Bailey's also got the pedigree. So like, but he, he didn't play at Tennessee. So they're, they're both big question marks. They're kind of like that mystery package. Like they, they could be something great, but the high ceiling, low floor, I would say with both of those guys, which I don't know if you're UNLV, you'll gamble on the high ceiling, right? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And and they're in a better spot this year than they were the last two years. And, uh, they're on the up and up. And as we talked about at the beginning of the show, th- there is some optimism. I'll, I'll, I'll say I think they're a four and a half to five win team. Um, I just I've I've predicted them to go to a bowl so many times in my life and been wrong that, you know, I might as well be wrong saying they're not going to get to a bowl and have them get there. You know what I'm saying? If yeah, I think that. I'm not going to rule it out. And like I said, based on the quarterback play, I think they can get there. It's, um, yeah, it's it's way more possible this year than it was last year. And that's, I guess, a sign that they're going in the right direction. All right. Very good. So this morning, Mike, you watched the UNLV game from UNLV basketball game. Tape delay. Tape delay, yeah, basically on the from their first game in their uh, Canadian tour. So um, nobody has watched the video, or few have watched the video. What, what's your impressions? My uh, my first impression, I, I didn't really get this from from listening on the on the radio because it's hard to uh, describe it in real time. But like, they could not stay in front of the ball handlers for the university of British Columbia. And that is super concerning to me. Now, before we get into this, like, of course it's August, the regular season's three months away, et cetera, et cetera. We don't want to overreact to a game like that, but also I don't want to underreact to it either because like there were some real issues in that game, which is like, if you can't stay in front of British Columbia, are you going to stay in front of San Diego state or Colorado state or, the real teams that you play, especially when they spent the entire offseason adding players who were defensive minded. They're, the goal of the program is to become a defensive team that wins with stops and just plays solid defense and wins on that end of the floor. And I didn't see them winning on that end of the floor against British Columbia. I saw pretty much everyone on the roster get beat off the dribble. 
and leading to either fouls. Columbia, uh, British Columbia shot 27 free throws, like UNLV shot six. Like they just got into the paint better than UNLV did. UNLV doesn't have guys that could win off the dribble and British Columbia was beating them off the dribble. And that's pretty much what the game came down to. So if that's a one-time thing where it's like, Hey, it's our first time playing as a team and we're a little disorganized and our feet aren't moving as quickly as they will eventually then yes. Or maybe it's just a blip on the radar, but if that's a real issue for them and they're not as good defensively as we thought, and they can't contain the dribble they are going to get destroyed by a lot of teams this year because they can't score enough to keep up. That's my, that's my initial take three months away from the regular season by watching that, the video from last night. Are you overreacting? I think I'm reacting. I don't want to overreact. I don't want to underreact. I think that's just a reaction. I'm just stating the fact that they could not stay in front of the ball on defense. And if that continues to be the case, they're going to lose a lot of games because they're not going to shoot the lights out to win like a a lot of shootouts. So they have to win on defense. If they're getting beat off the dribble on every possession at every position, it's going to be a long season. So that's my reaction. Perfectly level right in the middle. Just the facts, ma'am. That's my reaction. Is, is this team they played comparable to who? It's comparable to like, I'd say like an air force where they're, I saw there was one play. There was a a play in the second half where Kevin Kruger was getting a little experimental. He put his two big men on the floor together, uh, David Milwaukee and Isaiah Cottrell. And immediately British Columbia went to a five out offense. They went small. They put all five guys on the perimeter all of a sudden, and they swung it to David Milwaukee's man. And all of a sudden David Milwaukee is 25 feet from the rim, which is not where you want him. And he gets blown by just like off the, the very first step, just blown by. And there's no one in Isaiah Cottrell stretched out to the corner. So there's no one in the middle to defend the rim. So five guys have to converge, like all chasing the ball for UNLV. Super disorganized. They kick it out. They get another uh, catch and in, in blow by on the closeout. And UNLV ended up fouling and there's two free throws. And it's just a sign that like, so British Columbia was smart about it. They were crafty. They were ready for UNLV's like adjustments, but talent wise and approach, I'd say like an air force type, they were playing five out. They're shooting a lot of threes, small guys, crafty off the dribble. They knew how to get inside the defense and get the fouls. So like an air, if UNLV played that way against air force, they would have lost to air force last night is my long way winded way of answering your question. Sure. And I mean, just to play devil's advocate, obviously, this is why they're going on the tour. Um, yeah. They've got a lot of new pieces, only four returners, and their philosophy has kind of changed slightly to this defensive first philosophy. So might as well get it out of the way and get some tape to where you could get better um, now instead of having to do it in the fall when they're behind the eight ball. Yeah, and if you want to throw another excuse on there, their best player, Elijah Harkless, is not playing because he's recovering from a, a knee injury. Um, he should be – he's almost back on the court. I think if this was a real game, he would have played in these this on this trip. They, they don't want to risk it because you've got so much time left before the regular season. Why bother? Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why UNLV is not in their peak form right now. My That's why my concern is – basically defending the ball because that's something where you either can do it or you can't do it. I don't know how, how you get better at that as the season goes on. If you, how you can get quicker or more attentive or just better defensively at that one aspect of a game. But yeah, there were, 
extenuating circumstances. I assume they'll win the next two games on this trip by wide margins and sort of calm some of those, those concerns. But uh, yeah, the tape was not very good from the, the first game that we've seen them in action. Um, who, who stood out? Was there a player that looked as we expected or better than we expected or worse than we expected? I think the guy that stood out the most because there was no one else on the team who could do what he was doing is Jackie Johnson, who is the sophomore transfer from Duquesne. He's a little guy. He looks like he's about five foot nine lefty at point at playing the point guard. And he's got burst. Like he can really attack off the dribble. He he's the only guy on the roster that I saw getting like dribbling past his defender one-on-one on the offensive end, getting into the paint, getting all the way to the rim. He had a couple of nice layups where he drove through the defense. He's just faster and quicker than the other guy. Um, so that stood out. Like when you're playing McCabe and their starting backcourt was you know, Jordan McCabe and Justin Webster with Keyshawn Gilbert in there and McCabe and Webster are not going to give you that off the dribble attack. They're not explosive offensively, whereas Johnson gives you that. So wouldn't be surprised to see some lineup tinkering tonight. Maybe they'll start a different five just to see how it goes. But Jackie Johnson, the first guy who stood out to me, just because he's, he's doing stuff that you're really not going to get anywhere else on the team. Yep. Totally. What's your, you concern, what's your, what's your level of reaction to an August exhibition game where they, they lose to university of British Columbia? Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm more, usually I'd be the one that would overreact and you would be the one um, that would be more fair. So this is kind of a a little bit of a role reversal, but for me, it's just, it's just a summer basketball game. You know, it's like, I give you a good example and, and you can't compare preps to, to, to UNLV, but, I remember back when Gorman and Clark had its big rivalry and, you know, both teams had big time D one players and they were playing in a, a fall league game and Gorman kind of gave up like a, a late lead and lost the game and the players were all pissed off. And what they didn't realize is that they didn't call any timeouts or they didn't try to do anything to stop it. They just let them play. So they were using that fall league as an opportunity to, you know, teach and learn and and fuel their desire. So you don't know what the coaching was. Did, you know, did he, did he kind of let them play? Did he keep people in longer than usual? If it was a normal game, would he have tightened his bench? I mean, I get it. The competition was lower and they didn't look good. But, you know, this game, this tournament is to get all the players – some reps against different people. And that's what it accomplished. They did play all 10 guys. They did do hockey changes, you know, five in five out in the first half. Mm -hmm. Um, I would give, whereas you just gave a positive, an anecdote that sort of paints it positively. I would, I mean, I really don't want to overreact, but the, the parallel I come back to is the last time they went on a foreign trip like this with the exhibition in August was 2016, Marvin Menzies first year. And he took his team down to the Bahamas to play a bunch of foreign teams, a three game series. And the first game of that, the first exhibition they played, they played the university of Toronto and they lost and they won the next two games, but 
that team ended up being the worst season in UNLV history because I think what it, what was exposed in that game was like they just weren't talented like they didn't have talent if you're a talented team you should be able to go to Canada even in August without you know with a couple injuries even if you're working things out even if you're experimenting with lineups and you should just still be talented enough to blow them out regardless you shouldn't have to have the circumstances all be perfect or 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 good for you to beat that team. So that's where I would fall on it. It makes me question how talented the team is when you go up to British Columbia and lose that game because I think that's a game you should win under any circumstances. That's where that's where I fall on it. So I am more concerned than I was before they played the game for sure. Yeah, and I mean that is the thing that they um they aren't as talented as they were last year or were you would think the UNLV team would be for me. That's a game where it's like, if the, if the bus that's taking the coaches to the game gets lost and your coaches don't show up, the players should just be able to do it themselves and still win by 20. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they should be able to play in their warmups and just go out there and, and figure it out at some level and just be so, ta- so much more talented that they, they dominate. But I don't think that's the kind of team they've got this year. And so it just goes to show like they, they are going to have to grind on defense every possession. If they let up or if they don't do it, a team like Air Force is going to beat them or a team, you know, that in the bottom half of the Mountain West is going to surprise them on some nights because that's just the, 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 the margin of error that UNLV has is, is small this year. That's what I would take away from this. Got it. Well, I'm glad the uh, I'm glad the uh, the sky hasn't completely fallen to the ground quite yet. But nonetheless, no, they, it's still a long time to go. And for this style of play, like you said, it takes a while for that to permeate the entire program, like it does at San Diego State. You've got if everyone buys in, I think they'll still be you know a good team this year. But we saw some issues last night. Is what I'd say. Yeah. Well, Mike, I'm sure the the fans appreciated the update. We'll uh, we'll try to come back every other week uh, as we get going in football season. And uh, of course, this is a Las Vegas Sun podcast, the Rebel Room. Uh, for Mike Gramala, I'm Ray Brewer. Uh, wishing you guys a uh, a great day.